couple days ago, I was looking at the Beverage Media website, and I noticed that there was around 56,000 different wines that I could select right from that website. Now, that's something that you should all really be thinking about during this, uh, this week. Uh, when I first started in this industry, there weren't even 2,000 uh, craft breweries uh, out there in the market. Now, I can't even keep account for how many there actually are. I'm really, really impressed over this past decade of just how consumer intelligence has increased uh, throughout the entire market. Places like Winston-Salem in North Carolina have some more advanced wine lists than places in Manhattan. So it's really, really exciting to see what's going on out there. Uh, but the big part that I want to bring to you today has to do with consumer confidence. Now, these, all these parts such as effective retail pricing, merchandising standards, and importance of the floor staff, all create a level of confidence for our consumer. We are probably in one of the most intense industries out there, and everybody that comes into our store really doesn't know exactly what they're looking for. So that's why it's important to create an atmosphere of confidence. And I mean, over these next few days, you're really having the fun part of the industry, getting to taste different categories, getting to create deals, not to knock it as easy, but at the end of this, your floor needs to sell your creation. For me, I have two, uh, for me, when I look at a new product, my first focus is return on investment. What I, so how I break that down is within two criterias. The first criteria has to do with demand categories. Demand categories for me are such as like your California cabs and your New Zealand South Blancs things that people are coming into the store for, and things that are just much more easy to just, that you just need. So this week, what you really need to think about is that even though you're gonna find a Cabernet that's really delicious, how is it gonna actually compare to the rest of the market? Your consumer knows what they like, and they also know how much they pay for that as well. So you may enjoy that Cabernet, but they're gonna compare their, that Cabernet to their standard wine. The other criteria that I look at is what I like to call pre-trends. Pre These are wines that are sort of like your Nero Diavolas and your Argentine Bernadas. They could become huge superstars in the, in the uh, market. We might know them as having certain characteristics that your cab followers might love, but these customers don't know that. So it's very important that if you're gonna go with this route, that you have to be very hands-on with these, with these wines. Now, personally, getting into pricing, uh, into uh, your retail pricing, I don't know about you guys, but I love Ben & Jerry's ice cream. However, I hate it when I see it that's $2 more expensive compared to the rest of the market. I could end up picking up like the, the brand that, uh, that the store is selling, but you know, I, I want to make sure that my money is being spent very well. The same goes on within the wine industry. Your consumer really is caring about what they're spending their money on, and they know exactly how much they're going to be spending, as I've mentioned before. So it's really important that you are aware of what your competition is doing with these main brand competitors. Now you will have your private labels in your store, but if you're even $2 more expensive within the main brand competition, 
your customer is going to automatically think that you're overpriced. And I mean, coming from Whole Foods, everybody knows that we're a little bit more expensive. So, <laughs> uh, but it's very, very important in that sense. They'll automatically think about that, and then they might pick up your private label, but it's very unlikely that they'll come back to your store. So, the other side of it has to do with um, uh, is also has to do with. Uh, sorry, guys, I'm blanking out on my own speech. <laughs> um, it also has to do with uh, with the sales. I uh, actually, it uh, has to do with uh, recently. Like, I actually purchased a comforter for my uh, for my bed. I was planning on spending no money until I had this iced coffee. Now, I don't know about you guys, but how many of you have been out there and saying, I'm not going to spend any money today. I'm totally saving money. And then all of a sudden, you spent well over like $200. And I mean, as I said, it always starts for me with a nice coffee. Well, my wife sent me a link for a new comforter, and it was $30 off. Because it was $30 off, I said, well, this is just a great deal. So I had to buy it. And on that day, I spent that $50 that I was not planning on spending. And I ended up getting that new comforter. But I was happy because I ended up saving $30. Now, this experience reminded me just how consumers really want a great deal. And they're going to be searching out for those sales. So one of the, one of the uh, things that I've seen many successful stores do within this, uh, within this market is that they'll have a higher frontline retail price, but they'll actually create a larger sales price so that they can be moving their wines without hurting their margin. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're really trying to see, keep in, is just having margin so that we can stay and keep our doors open. Um, but all this doesn't even just stick to just uh, with price. The other side is merchandising standards. Now, you got to remember that you have to keep it simple. There are so many times that I walk into a store and the place is really just a mess. What, in 2011, the Journal of Neuroscience came out with an article from a study done at Princeton University saying that when people were around clutter, their brains actually struggled to focus. Now, you have to think about that within your merchandising standards and your and your uh, labels that you're going to be creating. What is your focus? What is your mission? If they're, going to be f if they're trying to search all over for what you're trying to sell, you're not doing them any good. So keep it simple, keep it direct, and keep it on message. They'll, this will totally create a smoother experience for the customer. Uh, now the other side of it, is that talking about displays has to do with your entranceway. Not every single one of your customers is going to go through your aisles, but they are going to go through the entrance. Here is where you have your biggest chance for your impulse buy. So you need to be focused on to what you want to sell. What is your statement that you want to put here? So for example, if it's New Year's Eve, you're going to be wanting to put a uh, sparkling wine that clearly says that your customer needs this for their midnight toast. However, all this stuff, including the pricing and the labels, 
and the merchandising is one thing. However, your floor staff is just as important as all of this to create confidence. Now, if you think about it, if you walk into a wine store, you all may know what you're looking for, but the average customer doesn't know what they're looking for. And that's really doing yourselves a disservice because honestly, as I said, there are over 56,000 different wines. You're just another brand to them. So you have to be ready to train your floor staff. I personally took time and it took me three years to get to where I am right now. And I really appreciate every little work that those guys did for me on the floor because without them, I really would be nothing. So what you got to do is that you need to really just, you need to approach them. Okay. Because honestly there is tons of data out there of what's going to be selling, but realistically this floor staff can really sell something else that they like. They don't know you. They know, and for them, they want to sell what they just know because it's easier for them. So as I said, approach them. Besides, they're not robots. At least Amazon hasn't made them robots yet. So, uh, so what you need to do is approach them because honestly, as I said, your average customer doesn't know what they're really looking for. However, they are looking for an experience. And that is really what is the big key in selling a new wine. What is the experience that this person is going to be looking for? For some people, it could be bringing, bringing a new gift or a gift to a bunch of friends, or it could be a dinner that they're having people over for. Either way, they want an honest wine, something that they can go home and show excitement for. Um, and that authenticity, needs to be part of the sales pitch. I know for me personally is that when my paycheck comes, I want to make sure that I'm spending my money wisely. And just like any regular consumer, they want to be spending their money wisely as well. So that's why it is so important that our team members really know exactly what they're talking about. Because at the same time, just like this phone, which is somewhere, I don't know where I put my phone actually, that's bad. Uh, uh, oh, here it is. Uh, it's right here. Every little piece of information that I could actually look for on your wine could be found right here. So if that floor staff is wrong about something, well, lying is really one of the worst things that you could actually do. So, and so when you're, doing, when you're bringing this new wine to the market, Give these people a story. Let them know what's going on. I work with one guy that will give you a story on every single wine that will go on for about a half hour. I yell at him a lot because I really just want him to close the deal, but he's giving our customers such an experience that all these people continue to come back to him. It's really amazing when you think about it. And honestly, he's the one guy that I've never, uh, I have seen sell more German Riesling than any other person that I know. So he can really, I remember this one security guard said, man, you could sell a dog its own poop. And I said, when I heard that, I was like, it's one of the weirdest things that you could ever be told as a compliment. <laughs> so think about what you're building this week. How is this going to wind going to sway your floor staff? Because at the end of the day, they're going to sell what they really like. 
because once again, they know it and that's where they feel comfortable. So go up, approach them, tell them why your wine is so much better than the competitors. There's nothing wrong about, about that. And if this is your brand, get in for in-store tastings as much as you can. From my experience, when I see, when I see people coming in to do an in-store tasting that have zero investment in your wine, they pour a few samples and they just want to get out there. There's no interaction with the customer. You're just losing money right there. People that actually have investment in the wine will have a better chance of creating long-term success for your wine. And finally, for everybody that is on the wholesaler or on the distributor side, it is such a key to be building relationships with the floor staff. You have to take a moment for, for a second and think about just how transparent this industry is. One moment you have your buyer right there, the next moment they've moved on to another place. I can't count how many sales reps I've gone through for, with so many different distributors in just three years. So be nice to them because you never know who's actually gonna be in that purchasing position one day. So in closing, I want to go back to one thing that I said earlier, is that wine is a luxury in life. We have to remember, I think uh, so Eric said that earlier, that wine is a luxury in life. Unlike water, we don't need it to survive. So these customers that are coming into us, they could go, they don't need us. And we have to remember that we are not needed. So it's important that we create an experience that builds confidence so that they know that we are a part of them because the more confidence they have in us, the longer our industry stays. So thank you. Thank you. We do have time for a couple questions. So if you have some, raise your hand and we will uh, run the mic around. Hi, my name is Christian. I was wondering, you as a buyer, yep. um, do you do case stacks or merchandising of brand new wines, like not big name wines? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, I take, uh, if I believe that the wine is something that I could really sell, yeah, we'll take the risk on it. Because I heard that you guys only do it with free trips to France and free cars. I have not heard that, but if you could tell me where I could find that, it, it that'd be really awesome. Store, believe me, I'll tell you. So. <laughs> okay, thanks. Great presentation, thank you. Uh, I have a question. In person always makes a difference, but we deal, we export to Asia, so yeah. we're in reverse of what most people are doing here. How would you build that relationship with the floor staff long distance? We go in person when we can, but I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not always there and our team's not everywhere in Asia. It's a large territory to cover. How would you recommend connecting people besides translating and cultural representation there to build a connection between your brand of wine to the floor staff? Well, I mean, I think there's, there's a few keys. I mean, I think I brought up about like not spending money on days and there's plenty of people out here that don't want to spend money. Uh, and it's just that you got to find a way to relate to them. I know that within different cultures, it makes it a little bit more challenging, 
But honestly, I mean, our country was started on different cultures. So there, there's ways to, to find it. You just need to be patient, learn what they're looking for, because at the end of the day, it's what they're looking for. How are they going to be able to translate what you're doing to their market? So I think that, like, you know, and the other side of it is make sure they're getting samples of the wine. Yeah. That, that's such a huge key. I mean, if you're not knowing what the wine is, it's just a label. Exactly. And we found that we went and talked to them for a while and we, they never got samples. They never had information. They were just told and they're just like, well, this is nice. And yeah. it's from a light Google they did. So. Yeah. And the other thing about it is that you can't look at it just as like Asia as a whole, yeah. right? You can then look at it as China, but then go lower. Is it in Beijing? And then what's the neighborhood in Beijing? So you have to really like localize what you're trying to sell. Is this neighborhood really going to be a fit for your wine? Thank you. You're welcome. Just two things for you. Um, the first one is, well, if you know this offhand, well, what is the median price point sold per unit in big box retailers across the nation? And then the second one would be, how, how do you forecast um, technology continuing to play a role as far as the retail shopping experience in this industry? So the median price going on right now, that, that's, that's a pretty good question. Um, I think we all have different numbers on that, but I think last time, last time I saw something online, I noticed that most people were spending between 10 to $20, really, seems to be the hot market. Um, and I've actually seen one more stat somewhere, I forget what website it was, that $20 was actually, and above was actually growing as well. But that's such a wide number when it just says 20 and above. Um, the other side with technology, I mean, I think that really technology is such a huge key role in everything now. I mean, everybody has, or at least most people have a Vino app right in their phones. So going back to you need to be honest with your sales pitch like your customer is going to listen to your sales pitch, but then they're, they're going to pull out the Vivino app and just double check you anyway. That happens to me way, way too often, honestly. Uh, on the other side of it, you know, there, there's more technology out there that I wish I could give you more answers on. But I mean, my company just got bought by the largest e-commerce store. It's, they haven't really given us much detail yet. So. Uh, for my store, personally, I, I don't actually. So I personally don't because a lot of those people that you do get those ratings off are people that your customer will never meet. Yeah, it's very individual. I mean, for example, you could like uh, Napa cabs, right? But I could say, well, no way, Sonoma cabs are better. And it's like we could go into a three-hour argument of that. So it, it's really tough to say. You know. And uh, uh, we were at a distillery that said they had just been picked up by Whole Foods, mm -hmm. and they were an organic distillery, and they said that you reached out to them. 
So, I mean, what is the protocol? Do you reach out to people? Do you wait on them to reach out to you? Are you looking for the little guy, the big guy? I mean, you know, I think what? that if you're a little guy, like you kind of have to really be reaching out to people or else the big guys are just going to run the world. So, and, you know, we, we all know the big guys. I mentioned that your average consumer knows, their, knows the big guys and what they're paying on that price. So if you're a small guy and I mean, within Whole Foods, there's many different regions and they all work differently. Uh, for my region in particular, like there's really just the one store in Manhattan. So you just come in and approach us half the time. So. Okay. You also need to figure out what your goal is with the wine. Do you just want it to be in like certain markets or do you want it to be nationalized? Uh, sort of building off the, that question, um, if you picked up a product in your store, does it automatically get sampled out to different Whole Foods across the country, or is it just your store? Uh, if it's us personally doing it, that's just it doesn't go to other stores. It's okay. just our store. Okay. Uh, if it's something that comes from Texas, chances are that's being across the entire country. What are you hiding? I mean, just be transparent. Be real. I mean, you're not. I, the one thing that gets me a little frustrated sometimes with uh, with sales reps is that they're not selling themselves first, and that's really the biggest key towards selling. Towards like, at least for me, is like, sell me yourself, then sell me your product. Because if it's your product and you're personally the maker of it, well, you probably have a really large passion for that product, right? So why do you have that passion? That, that's really a key point to being authentic with me. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, the price sensitivity for wines. What about uh, liquors? Uh, you know, it's been a couple quite a few years but with liquors, but I mean, if you have like Grey Goose up there, uh, is that, I mean, it's gonna be kind of the same thing. People are gonna know exactly what they're paying on Grey Goose, they're gonna know what they're paying on Hennessy. So you gotta be aware of that. And then I guess even with all the, the crazed uh, increase in sales of whiskeys, I think people just wanna buy them if they're aged at this point. So, but even then, like, I mean, I've seen Pappy Van Winkle's like 21 year go for like $3,000 and I automatically know that's just a bad deal. So, but there are people out there that will spend it. So I think you, you need to be aware of what your competition is doing across the entire field. Any questions? No? Cool. Awesome. Thank you.